All right, if you have your Bible, please turn to Galatians 5. If you're a guest with us today, let me add my welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. Trust that you've been blessed already as we've been singing God's praise, reading from his word, praying for him to work, to do the things that only he can do, and to help us to love him and love others for his sake. And we trust that you'll continue to be blessed as we continue to gather in his name even now. We're in Galatians 5, and if it, this is your first Sunday with us, uh, you're catching us near the end of a series on the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the seventh sermon of nine uh, in a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We've considered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. And today we're talking about faithfulness. And just as a reminder for everyone, we're treating this list as a virtue list, something that is produced by the Spirit. Right? We can't drum these up by ourselves. We kind of end up emphasizing that every week. You can't make this happen. Right? The Spirit produces this in us because we are in Christ and because he lives in us. And we are called to cultivate this fruit. If it was automatic, we wouldn't even need a list. Right? Just be there. It's like, wow, look at, look at how we are. That is amazing. But it's not, as you know, especially you know, ones like patience and kindness. Um, those are not automatic. They are, in fact, the opposite of automatic, right? So even though it is the Spirit who produces this in us, we are called to cultivate these virtues as well as we work with Him in our growth in likeness to Christ, reflecting the character of God. So that is kind of the setup. Let's read, I'll read Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's an incomplete list, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do or who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That is the word of the Lord. Let's thank him for it. Oh God, we thank you that indeed you have spoken to us through your word and in these last days by your son. We thank you that even now you speak to us through your word. And so by your spirit, would you do that today? Would you guard my mouth? Would you help me to say what would be helpful and useful and true and glorifying to you and good for us? Would you help each one who is listening to listen well, to be eager to grow in faithfulness? Would you help us and where we feel our weakness and feel condemned today, would you come and assure us with your love and your faithful love for us? And so, Spirit, would you come help us, guard us, guide us, use these moments to keep us and to make us more like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking with one of my uh, kids, I think it was yesterday, and... We were talking about things like you can kind of count on and things you can't count on, and kind of talking about school. You shouldn't talk about school on Saturday, but that's something we do sometimes in our house. 
And this child, you can guess which one, says, I love math. It's so reliable. Right? In English, especially as you get into high school, it's like, how do you feel about this story? It's like, I don't know. What are we supposed to do? And then what if you feel the wrong way? But is there a wrong way? I don't know. But two plus two is always four. Math is reliable. You can count on it. For those of you who are like, what are we doing? It's Sunday. It's a holiday weekend. I'm not even going back to school till Tuesday. All right, school's over. Maybe that doesn't connect with you. Maybe the Mario Brothers movie does. Now, I don't have anything actual to say about that. So if you're just like, you just kind of woke up, um, there, it's not going to be like some of the other references because I have no idea what happens in that movie. And it's also way too early to do any spoilers, right? We, I mean, Eric got upset one time when we spoiled a movie that's like 18 years old. It's like, dude, that is on you, right? All right. What's going on with something like the Mario Brothers movie? In a world where we can't seem to count on anything and we don't know what to expect, our culture today loves, as much as we love what's new and shiny, we love what is familiar. We love what reminds us of simpler days, when things were better, when things made more sense to us. And so for a lot of people my age, that decade was the 80s. And you know what's happening now in popular culture? The 80s. Even the clothes, some of them. <laughs> you, know, you, you watched? Yeah, anyway. So the 80s are happening all over again. And there was some good in the 80s, and there was some bad in the 80s, just like in the 2020s. There will be good and bad and everything in between. But it's comforting to be able to enter familiar worlds, like Mario Brothers. I didn't grow up playing Nintendo, so that's not a familiar world for me. But I know for some of you, that is a familiar world. And that the people who know it, they can watch it and they go, oh, I saw that, I saw that, I saw that. Right? And I'm like, what, what did he say again? It's why that movie and a seemingly infinite number of shows and movies that are about the 80s. And then those also the massive franchises, because it's not just the 80s. Some of you have zero nostalgia for the 80s. <laughs> The massive franchises, right? They're making the, the 12th movie in a franchise. Why? Mainly because the people making the movies know that you will watch it because you've already watched 11 of them. And they want the guaranteed money. But the reason there's guaranteed money is that there's an almost guaranteed experience that you can count on. I know what they do in these films. I know how this works. And then, you know, you can't necessarily count on that with Star Wars. You can count on people who really care about Star Wars getting upset about whatever they do next with Star Wars. But we want what's familiar. We want what we know. We want what we can count on. And that's actually a good and right longing. Now, we can't actually count on the 80s as much as some might like to. But we can count on God. And as much as it's up to us, people should be able to count on us too. When we're talking about cultivating faithfulness, we can count on God. And as much as it's up to us, people should be able to count on us. Yes, there are things that are outside of our control because we're not God. Right? You say, I'm going to be there. And then you're at home ill. And you can't be there. And that's okay. That's not being unfaithful, right? It's actually the, the faithful thing to do to stay home and keep it to yourself. There are things outside of our control, right? Jenny, you were going to be on time today, but then all of a sudden one of your tires wasn't working. And you made it, and we're glad. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to be there. Right? And she wasn't. She's not unfaithful. She couldn't get here. So that happens. We cannot always accomplish what we intend because we are not God. He always accomplishes what he intends. But that's not all that keeps us from being able to be counted on, right? It's not just flat tires. 
It's not just illness. Many times it is us. We do not always faithfully follow through on our promises and our commitments. So today, cultivating faithfulness is about how we grow in being able to be counted on. In some ways, it's like, that's it. Can people count on you? If yes, do this. If no, do that. Good talk, right? It's about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. About telling the truth. About keeping your word. And so in our remaining time together, we'll consider where faithfulness begins. What faithfulness does, how faithfulness grows, and when faithfulness falters what we do. So first, where faithfulness begins. As usual in this series, and in a way with every sermon here, we don't start with us. We are not the solution. It's not, oh, you know, I'm not that good in keeping my word, so I'm going to make a decision today, and now I will always keep my word, because I, I decided, and there it is. It's just, boy, I'm glad we had this conversation. Where does faithfulness begin? Faithfulness starts with God. Because this is who God is. God is faithful. And so we can trust him. That even if everything goes wrong, we will be okay. Because we can trust him. He is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And like last week, talking about the Lord's goodness, there are so many texts that we could use that essentially I just want to say, make sure you're reading your Bible because it's literally everywhere. God is faithful. Even in texts that don't use the word faithful or faithfulness, you see in the Old Testament, you see in the ESV, steadfast love or loving kindness. In another translation, it's the faithful love of God. And we can, we can see that. It's like both of those are right. Like what does it mean to be steadfast in your love? It's to be faithful. It's everywhere. Thousands and thousands of times. Over and over again. God is faithful. So there's way more than we could possibly fit into a single sermon. And that in itself, I think, drives home the point. It's not that like, okay, we, we can prove. I have my four texts and this other story that kind of talks about it. That's not what's going on here. It's everywhere. He is always faithful. And so it shows up everywhere. One place is Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The Lord your God is God. He is faithful. What does it mean to be faithful, right? He keeps his covenant. What he says he will do, he does. When he says he will save a people, he does. When he says he will save everyone who comes to him through Jesus, he does. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Another classic is Psalm 108.4. Your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The clouds are really high up in the air. His faithfulness goes that high, right? We can't get away. And isn't that good news for us? We can't get away from God's faithfulness. And all God's promises find their yes, Paul writes, in Jesus. He's kept every promise, but where we know for sure is that he has kept his promises to us in Jesus. All his promises were always moving toward Jesus and what he would do for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And his promises now, based on all that, are moving toward what will come. We're told to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
in 1 Peter 1.13. Jesus, as the one who is the answer to all God's promises, he himself is faithful. He is God, so of course he is, but there are also specific places where we are told. The letter to the Hebrews, kind of the message of that letter is Jesus is the best, right? And you better believe it. But the point is that Jesus is the one who keeps all those promises about that old covenant and then the new covenant promises that are made. Jesus is the one. He fulfills all of that. All those pictures were going toward him. We're showing what he would do, helping people see the need for forgiveness of sin, the provision through sacrifice for sin, that it was through a bloody death. And we're told that Jesus is the one-time sacrifice for sins. And so you see over and over in Hebrews, trust in him. Don't be unbelieving like they were. Trust in him. Walk by faith. He's the one we can trust. So an example text from there. Hebrews 3, 1 to 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Is that us? Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus did everything the Father sent him to do. Everything the Father said, this is what I want you to do. He did it. He did it all. And he did it all for us. For our sake. In our place. In Revelation 1.5, he's called Jesus Christ the faithful witness. He's the one who faithfully communicated, this is who God is. Just look at me, right? He's the image of the invisible God, the radiance of his glory. He's the one who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so for us, when we think about what faithfulness means for us, where does faithfulness begin? It begins with a faithful God. So the first call to be faithful is not be able to be counted on. It's count on the one who is always able to be counted on. Because no matter how much we grow, none of us will reach perfection in this life until we either go to see him or until he comes for us. And so we will stumble and fall. But God never does. He is always faithful. And so the first element of faithfulness. When we're thinking about where does faithfulness begin, it begins with faith in the faithful one. Faith in the one who is always faithful. And so later in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. That's who he is. He has made a promise and he will keep every last one of them. And so now, we who are in Christ, we who belong to him, we live by faith. In fact, the Greek word that's used here for faithfulness, that's translated faithfulness, most often is translated faith in the Bible. It's throughout Hebrews. This is the word that's all over the book of Hebrews, and it's about our trust in God's faithfulness. Now, it's, it's rightly translated faithfulness here, especially as we find it in this list. And really, it's not that the two ideas are mutually exclusive. The only way we can grow in being faithful in our dealings is to be relying on the one who is faithful in all his dealings. Because when we're secure in him, then we're free to swear to our own hurt. We're free to make a promise and realize, well, that's going to cost me a lot more than I thought, but I promised. I said I would be there. It's going to be harder than I thought, but I said I would be there. So Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His loving and giving himself for us is the pinnacle of God keeping his promises. That we who deserve his wrath, because none of us are faithful, we who deserve his wrath are called righteous, are even called faithful, are called good. 
because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you are not yet trusting in Jesus, if you're saying, well, you know, Christian stuff, okay, that's interesting, I like that, I want to keep it at a distance, and, and we've all been there at some point. If you're still in that spot, I would urge you today, cast yourself on the one who will never let you down. He is always faithful. You can trust him today. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus and who want to grow in cultivating faithfulness, just as a reminder from the rest of this series, walking in the Spirit means listening to him, means looking at what he does. We read near the end of it in verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's a military picture. Right, where you're walking in step and everyone's together. We're on the same page. We're going his direction, at his pace, for his purpose. And we do that relying on his strength to produce his character in us. Because it's God who's faithful. That's how we know what faithfulness is. Because basically the biblical story is one of our unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. All right, you read the Old Testament, and it's like, yep, that's it. Next story, there it is again. <laughs> mm-hmm, okay. I'm picking up the theme. If you want to see the theme in a couple psalms right next to each other, your bonus reading for this week is to go home and read Psalms 105 and 106 back-to-back. So they're not famous ones, there's not a lot of like, oh yeah, we always, there's no like great, I mean, there are great verses in there, but there's no ones that are often used as like the pull quotes, right? It's like, oh, look at there, we quoted from there again. But read Psalms 105 and 106 back to back for a sobering contrast between God's faithfulness and ours. Psalm 105 is all about God's faithfulness in rescuing his people from Egypt. The plagues that he sent, the provision that he made, carrying them out, being faithful to them. You're like, oh man, this is great. This will preach. God is faithful. He saves his people. He keeps his promise. And then Psalm 106 is like, God's still all those things. But even in Egypt, they weren't really caring about what God was doing. But when they cried, he heard them and he kept his promise. He remembered his covenant and he did what he said he would do. And then as soon as they get out, they complain. Right? They're stuck at the Red Sea. It's, what's going on? This isn't how it was supposed to be. I thought it was going to be easier than this. And they complain. And Moses goes to God and is like, hey, what are we going to do? He's like, I got it, right? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he delivered them again. Then they get out and they get a little hungry. What are we doing? And he remembers his covenant. And he feeds them. And then Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments for 40 days. And they're like, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, help us out here. So they collects gold and whatever else, throws it in the fire, right? And out came this calf in Aaron's defense there, which is a very weak one. Uh, someone fashioned that. It was not just the fire. It's like, what a miracle. It's like, no, God doesn't miraculously create idols. We do that ourselves. And God was faithful And it just goes on and on with their failure and failure and failure. All the way up through that psalm was written during the exile where they've gone into the land and they didn't drive out as he had told them to do, but he was with them. And then it closes with saying, God, be faithful to us again. Gather your people from the nations. So ultimately, it becomes a plea. God, we're unfaithful. Will you still be faithful to your covenant? And will you keep your promise? And there's a significant way in which this is still true because we all stumble and fall. We all sin. And so we might think then, why even bother talking about our faithfulness? Why don't we just revel in God's faithfulness, be like, think about that a lot, and go out and live? Why don't we do that? Because part of the beauty of the new covenant that Jesus so faithfully kept is that he would send his spirit like he did on Pentecost, which we celebrate today, 
to guide his followers and to empower them to live on mission for his glory and to obey his commands. We are called and enabled by the Holy Spirit to be different than we were before. We don't just say, well, I have no hope of changing at all, but isn't it good that Jesus saved me? That is not the Christian message. Yes, we have no hope of gaining a right standing with God through any of our actions. We never can do that. If somehow from this point forward, you could always obey God, always love God and others for the rest of your life, the sins we have already committed would condemn us. We can never make up for even one sin. And so we should never think about growing in faithfulness or any other virtue that way. It's like, okay, then I can do it. And now God will be okay with me. No, God is okay with us and more than okay with us because of what Jesus has done and only because of what Jesus has done. And as his children, he calls us to take on the family resemblance. You know how that is with families, right? A lot of kids, it's like, yep, I know they're one of those. Right? And not just their faces or their build, right? It's how they walk. How they talk. I don't look a lot like my dad. Some of you, you've met my dad as he's visited here over the years. I don't look very much like my dad. But when I was 16 and I worked at the construction company where he also works, he was in the office. I was out in the shop sweating all day doing thing that didn't require any skill uh, because reasons um, that are still true. So Occasionally, I would need to come into the office to do something. Not to talk to him, but just to help with something. We need, we need wires run through this ceiling. It's like, here we are. That's what the 16-year-olds do at this office. And I would walk in. I'd interact with somebody for like a minute. And they're like, you're Bob's son. Like, I mean, you're not wrong. But I don't see it. I don't get it. But they could see it. Because I'm like my dad. I actually really want to be like my dad too, so I was very happy about that. But I'm like my dad. I take on the family resemblance. And some of you say the same things about some of our kids. We're like, I don't really see it. It's like, he looks just like you. It's like, all right, we'll take it. He's already a lot better than me in some ways, like on the guitar, as you all well know. But we take on the family resemblance. And one thing just to encourage our hearts Sometimes we don't see the family resemblance in ourselves as much as others do. And maybe you're here today and you're like, ah, faithfulness, please, let's not talk about that. Because I know how unfaithful I am. I don't belong here with the rest of you really good people. If you interviewed everyone, you'd find that you're actually in the super majority. (laughs) Not the only one. It's one of the reasons that we walk together. Because sometimes we can see, I see you growing in ways that you can't even perceive. But I'm here to say that and encourage you. And we do that for one another. And we're built up. And I know that's happened for many of you. It's like, I see you growing in this way. Someone in the the church tells you that because they've observed you over the years that we've been walking together. I can see how this is being worked out on you. And isn't it neat how the Holy Spirit orders those moments so that usually when you hear a word like that, it's on the week when you feel the worst about that particular area of your life. And it helps you be humble. You're like, oh yeah, I'm glad you've noticed because I've noticed too, right? That's not usually how that works. You go, oh, I feel so weak, but I believe you and I'm walking with you and I know you love me and I know you see me and I know you know my weaknesses and sins. And so it's a real encouragement. So that's part of what we can do. So there's encouragement for the heart that's feeling really weak. It's like even where you say, I don't have a chance at this. There's other people even in this room right now who know that there is and not just a chance, but that it's already happening, even if it's not completed yet. And then kind of an exhortation for us is when you see that, say it. Right at the airport, they say, if you see something, say something. They're talking about something else. But if you see something, If you see God's grace active in someone else's life in this church, don't just like think about it in your head and go, oh, isn't that great? Praise the Lord. 
I mean, do that, but then do something with it. Talk to other people in the church about how you're seeing God grow. Talk to that person about how you're seeing them grow. I promise they'll be encouraged. We are called and enabled to be different, or to use the metaphor of Galatians 5, we're called to cultivate and bear the fruit the Spirit produces, which is itself God's own character. So that's where faithfulness begins, not with us, but with God and his faithfulness to us. Next is what faithfulness does. What faithfulness does. We've kind of hinted at this along the way. It keeps trusting the Lord. Faithfulness keeps on trusting the Lord. Faithfulness perseveres. So as we think about kind of the two aspects of being faithful, one is to be trusting. The second is to be able to be trusted. Faithfulness keeps on trusting the Lord. In part, it means to be full of faith. Faithfulness is like being filled with faith. And then, as we're filled with faith, that works itself out in faithfulness to God and others. Faithfulness keeps its word. It's one thing that faithfulness does. When we say, I'm going to do that for you. Again, unless providentially hindered by God's grace, we do it. It means we tell the truth instead of just saying what we think people want to hear. When we're just, oh, this will uh, be okay, but there's really a thought that I have that I'm going to say to everyone else later. It's like, no, you are being, in that moment, unfaithful. Faithfulness can be counted on. can be counted on to keep promises. So in marriage, that means keeping our vows, whether we feel in love or not. Because your vows are not statements of present love. I have all these feelings for you and I'm sure I will have them forever. That's not what people do when they get up and stand up before God and friends and family and church to get married. They don't stand up and say, I'm so in love with you. Well, sometimes they do, but that's not what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's okay if you feel in love with the person you're marrying. It's actually advisable. But what's necessary is that we are committed to keeping the vows that we make. The vows that we make are not statements of present love. They are promises of future actions of love. Refraining from some things and doing others. It means keeping your vows, the promises that you have made to love exclusively, to honor, to cherish. We need help with that. Because it's hard. In parenting, that means our kids should be able to trust our word when we say we're going to do something with them or for them. How many of you have grown up where you learned very early, I can't trust my dad. I can't trust my mom. He always says we're going to do that, but we never get around to it. We almost do, but there's always something that comes up. Right, what you're communicating, what we're communicating, or for some, what has been communicated to you. It's like keeping your word doesn't matter. He's just going to do what he wants to do. What does your word, if you're a parent today, what does your word mean to your kids? One way is what we just said about doing what you say you will do with them and for them. Here's another way. Do your kids know that they can keep disobeying even though you said some sort of discipline was coming because they know you don't follow through? I'm going to count to three. What do we do after three? I don't know. Count again in a few minutes when I get frustrated again. Right? What are we communicating in that moment? I don't follow through. I don't keep my word. I am not a trustworthy person. Now, when they're four, they don't notice so much. They don't make all the connection and be like, that's not a trustworthy person. But when they get older, they're paying a little more attention. They understand a little more how the world works. They'll find that the world's right at home, in our home. 
This is hard. We don't do it well. None of us do this perfectly. So this isn't like we have it down. Come to us for lessons and look at all you people who are problems. We'll all stumble in this. But what is our pattern? Is it a pattern of faithfulness that we can be counted on, that they can trust us? And that'll help them as they grow and they're told, God is a father you can rely on. Now for those who have not been able to rely on your father, praise the Lord that he has taught you by his grace to trust him as the good father that you should have had. And where that's still a struggle, struggle, ask the Lord for his grace to help with that. But we don't want to make our unfaithfulness be what makes it hard for our children to know and love God. In church membership, that means you keep your commitments. Remember the one thing we ask all members to agree to abide by is the relational commitment document. One of those is to believe the best about each other rather than gossiping about them. That when something's wrong, that we assume the best possible motives and when we're sure but they have sinned against us, then we go to them. As our Lord commanded, it's not just our relational commitments document. It's just helpful to be able to say, see, you agreed to that. But those agreements are nothing more than what Christ himself has commanded us to do. In friendships, it means if you said you would show up, that you do. Faithfulness can be counted on to keep promises. Faithfulness, this is another kind of aspect of faithfulness. It can be counted on to keep promises, but it can also be counted on to live consistently. Faithfulness can be counted on to live consistently. That we can count on a certain response from someone because we can say, I know they're like this, right? That's ultimately what we're doing with God. When things seem out of control, when things are hard, when things are wrong, and we go to him, right? What do we fall back on? Not that we understand everything, Not that he'll do what we want us to do, but we know who he is. We know his heart. We know what he's like, and we can trust him. And by his grace, we want to take on that character of God, to live consistently. I had a boss years ago, not in a church, just for, I haven't always worked at church, Make, make clarifications whenever we're talking about coworkers. Right? It's like, yeah, Richie's great, okay? <laughs> I had a boss years ago where people would stop. I used to sat right outside his office, and people would stop as they were, like, going to tell him about something, tell him about some problem. It's like, hey, how are we doing today? What kind of mood's he in? Because this isn't that urgent. Like, I can come back after lunch if that's going to help him. Because that's going to help me. Because I don't want to go in there and get yelled at or told what I have to do. And now I have to do this thing that I know isn't the thing. And that two days later he'll feel bad and then we'll do the right thing. As Christians, we want to be able to be counted on. That when someone, if you work in an office, that when someone walks into your office or walks to your workspace or comes up to you with a problem, that they're going to get the same person every time. Now, again, none of us are perfect. We all have bad days. We all have sin (laughs) that works its way out in us. None of us are complete. But that's what faithfulness does. It lives consistently. And I'm so grateful to know so many of you who live consistently. It's like, hey, I want to talk to this person. It's like, I know what I'm going to get. I know what they're like. I know how they think. I know how they function. And I have no fear going into this conversation. No concern about where it's going to go, even if it gets difficult, because I know you. And that is such a joy. It is such a joy to know that with so many of you. So even where maybe you're feeling like, oh no, live consistently all the time. So many of you do that so well. I'm so grateful to God for that. 
that I can count on a response that honors the Lord and cares for others, loves to serve other people for his sake. There's a way in which faithfulness is really just living out all these other virtues consistently. When we think about a consistent life, right? It was, and as we've said every week, all of these go together, right? The ground of patience is peace, right? If we're already stormy inside and then something hard happens, it's like, Bruh! well, you're not patient. You need to work on patience. Like, yeah, well, before that, let's think about peace with God and others and a peaceful heart because of what God has done for us. So by his grace, again, none of these stand alone. We want to work on faithfulness in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and the rest. Uh, Sorry for those who don't like sports. Uh, Frank Reich is a name that some of you will know, right? How many know the name Frank Reich? Okay, good. The Eagles fans. And the non-Eagles fans, but no football. Okay, good. We got it. So this is going to be fun. Frank Reich has lived an interesting life. I knew of him first as the backup quarterback of the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s. The Bills, heartbreakingly for Bills fans, lost four consecutive Super Bowls in the early 90s. Can you imagine that? The Eagles did that for like the next three years. It's kind of like what everyone experienced with like the Union and then the Phillies and then the Eagles. We just had it back to back. Is that the one we want? No? Not that. No, we're not doing that. Good night. Richie is not a good coworker right now. We're not predicting the Bills winning the Super Bowl. That's too easy. Oh, are the Eagles losing three in a row? We're not doing that either. No, we predict our teams win. Come on, man. (laughs) All right, so Frank Reich played for the Bills. He was the backup quarterback. He actually had the biggest uh, playoff comeback in NFL history as he came in for an injured player. He played for a few other teams late in his career and retired after the 1998 season. And then there's an eight-year gap on his football resume. Like, he didn't go into television and talk about football. He had offers to go directly into coaching to be a quarterback's coach uh, for the Colts for a rookie quarterback named Peyton Manning. Some of you may have heard his name. But there's an eight-year gap. He didn't start his coaching career until 2006. Since then, for those of you who love it when the Eagles win the Super Bowl, he was the offensive coordinator when the Eagles won the Super Bowl several years ago, Super Bowl 52. And then when you're the offensive coordinator on a really good team and get the credit, you go and become a head coach. And now he is the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. But what about that gap? How did he get back into it after that? And what did he do in the interim? Between playing and then coaching football, he followed the Lord's leading to go to seminary. It's not the normal career path. I'm retiring from the NFL. I'm going to seminary. But he did that. And he became a pastor and for a few years was the president of Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the like, mid-2000s. And when I first, you know, it's like Frank Reich. It's like, I know that name. Wait a minute. What is going on? Right? So he's a sports guy. But all along with the sports, he was walking with the Lord, living faithfully before teammates, It's not your normal career, and from what peers from both football and the seminary say, Frank is no ordinary guy. Bill Polian, who's on the football side of things, says he's always been a person that focused on doing what he told people he would do, following up on commitments. It's like, don't we want to be known that we're working, most of us are working out in the world every day, how would we want coworkers to talk about us? He's someone who follows up on commitments, who's focused on doing what he told people he would do. Richard Pratt, who was a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary when Frank was there, he says, Frank is a man first who wants to make the right and good choices for himself and his family. He's not after promotions and getting ahead. It's like he's 
faithful. Torrey Smith, an NFL wide receiver who was on that Eagles team, says it's literally, talking about Reich's, Frank Reich's faith, he says it's literally who he is and how he lives. He's definitely one of the best men I've ever been around. What are they describing? They're describing a man who is faithful, whose faith in God keeps going, right? It's like, what does faithfulness do? It keeps trusting in God and lives faithfully because of it. Now, if Frank Reich were here, he's a good reformed guy, he would tell you he's not perfect, right? He knows, he knows all the verses that remind us of our sinfulness, our unworthiness before the Lord. So it's not like, well, Frank's made it, he's faithful, he's good, and now he's in. No, because he's in, because he belongs to Christ, because he has the Holy Spirit, he is being enabled imperfectly, but significantly, to live with faith in God and faithfully with those he's around, whether in the church or in the world. Because sometimes we find it easy, like, I'm really faithful at church, I got this. With other Christians, I know how this works. And then it's like, when I go to work, it's like, I'm just surviving, just making it, just doing my thing. We're neighbors. But by God's grace, we want to be faithful, both in our Christian world and in the real world, as we sometimes would say. Faithfulness is also for little things as well as big for little things as well as big. Jesus says in Luke 16, 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And we think, well, it's, it wasn't that big a deal, but I would never on these other things. But when we accumulate those little ones, searing our conscience along the way, sinning against God all along the way. Then we find ourselves doing things we never thought we would do. I was never going to go there. I was never going to do anything like that. I was not going to be that kind of person. But the thing is, we've been that kind of person all along. So by God's grace, faithfulness isn't just for like the really significant things. It's for all the things. It's not just for certain people. It's for all the people. We keep trusting in the Lord. And we seek to live consistently, keeping our word, that people can count on us. So how do we grow in that? How do we grow in that? How does faithfulness grow? Because they're like, what faithfulness does? And we just go, okay, well, I guess that's for a few other people, but maybe not me. How does faithfulness grow? How do we cultivate it? First is remember God's faithfulness. How do we cultivate faithfulness? Remember God's faithfulness. And there's like, yes, do that by coming every Sunday to gather with God's people as long as you're able to and well enough get here and say, this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. Whatever I have planned for the weekend, this is what I have planned is to gather with God's people because we're reminded of who he is, what he has done for us in Christ. But it's not just gather with God's people every week, as important as that is. When God's people crossed the Jordan into the promised land, in Joshua 3, they crossed over, you remember, the same way that they crossed the Red Sea. God opened it up. And it was at flood stage, so it's not just like, oh, it was little, little, that that time. It's like, no, it was a miracle. And God did it. And they walked through the whole people. That's a lot of people. A lot more than are gathered here today, right? They walked through. And the Lord told Moses, when they got across, have guys go back and get 12 stones from out of the riverbed and bring them to the other side where you are now and make a pile of stones, a cairn, if you will. For the Karen uh, students and graduates. That's, that is, that's what a Karen is. It's a pile of rocks for you to remember something. And they're called their stones of remembrance. There's one stone for each tribe. And the Lord tells them, so that one day when your son walks by the Jordan River and goes, 
What's up with all these rocks? I mean, it's cool, but, you know, it's not, uh, my feng shui is a little different, right? Sorry, that was kind of a 10-year-old reference. There's that pile of rocks. What does this pile of rocks mean? The dads, the parents, were supposed to be ready to say immediately, God brought us over. It was a miracle, and he rescued us, and he's with us even now, and he does the same kind of things today for you, and you can trust him. And it's not just there. Deuteronomy is all about remembering what the Lord has done for them. Don't forget. There are constant reminders not to forget. And so I think it's wise, as we think about being faithful, growing in faithfulness, it's wise to give ourselves reminders of God's faithfulness. So a key and important one is gathering with God's people on Sundays. But these can also be physical, just like the stones of remembrance were back then. It's good to mark milestones and occasions and remember what God did for us. Where we go, before this time it was like that, and after that it was like this, and God did that thing. We have some things like that in our family from decades ago that everyone in my nuclear family that I grew up in, all right, my parents and my siblings, we can go, yes, in this time, in this year, on this day, God worked. He came through. We were in a situation we didn't expect, but he came through. And what happened on the other side was better than what any of us would have planned. And we still talk about that time and that era in our lives. It's like, I know that God has us. I know that God will take care of us. I know that God will provide for us because we all saw it and felt it together. And we can still talk about it. We remember it. So these can be physical. Maybe you want to make a pile of stones and be like, that was, that was it. That's, that's biblical. Nothing against that. Maybe it's verses on the refrigerator or on the mirror or an artwork on the walls of your apartment, your home. So maybe it's physical and we have them around us, like stopping us, going, like confronting us, us with this is who God is. This is what he has done for us. And as we've kind of been doing throughout the series, thinking a little bit about technology and the world we live in today and how it kind of goes against that, the call here is to use your phone instead of having your phone use you. You probably already know what I mean, but phones distract us. You ever find yourself distracted by your phone? Phones call for your attention, right? I have a lot of apps on my phone, you know, because you have to have one for this and one for that, and I use it once, then five years later, and then you're creating an account with a different email address because you're locked out. See, you've been there too. And every time you get set up with one of those, what's the first thing it wants to know? Can we send you notifications? And early in my phoning career, it's like, sure. Then all of a sudden it's like, ding, 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 ding. Lights up. And you go, oh, I got to look at that. It's like, that's not very important, but it's interesting. Right? And then 20 minutes later, it's like, what was I doing? And why did I look at my phone? And what? I don't know. Right? But part of my life is gone now. Oh, there were other people in the room too. Ah, oh, sorry guys. Or not sorry. You're all doing the same thing. Phones distract us. They call for our attention. Sometimes even when we go to them, right? Then we find the notifications that are on there. Like, I, <laughs> this I know has happened to many of us. Or you pick it up. I'm doing something good, godly with this phone right now. I'm about to. And then it's like, oh, oh yeah, I need to, oh, oh, oh. And then 20 minutes later, it's like, I know I picked it up on purpose. But I have no idea why. And if it's important enough, the Lord will remind me. (laughs) Don't tell me you haven't thought that before. (laughs) All right, they distract us. They call for our attention. Then we forget what we were doing, whether what we were doing on the phone itself or what we were doing in the real life outside of our digital life. And then later we're like, oh yeah, I never texted that person about getting together and now it's too late. I missed the window. 
but we can use our phones instead of being used by them. Because those same apps that want to send you reminders can be used to remind you about things that you say you want to do but never get around to in loving God and loving other people. So again, we're not Luddites. So I get rid of your phone and I'm preaching from an iPad held up by my phone. Okay? But we want to use them for what God is calling us to do, not be used by them and be distracted and forgetful about what God is calling us to do. So we can use them. They can remind us of the things we say when we're saying, not looking at it. Maybe you need to write that list down. <laughs> and they'll be like, okay, now we'll put it in the phone. But they can be used to remind us of things we want to remember. Put people's birthdays that you care about in your phone. And they pop up and it's like, oh yeah, I should reach out to them. I care about them. I love them. And I knew that once. But it's hard to remember everyone's birthdays, right? Is that hard for you? It's like, it's like oh, there it was. Missed it again. Oh well. Sorry for the belated, you know. Put other milestones on your calendar. Whether it's a milestone in your own life, your family's life, your church's life. And remember, this is when that happened and God was faithful. And just put, you can just put a few words and it'll bring back a whole memory of what God has done. You can set reminders to read your Bible, right? So when you're like, who won last night? What was the score? How did it go down? It's like, oh, there's something else that I really, when I'm, again, when I'm sane, that I say I want to do. Set reminders to pray for people when you know something's coming up, when you know a big test is coming up or a surgery is coming up. Set reminders to pray. Set reminders to reach out to people. You say, I, I want to encourage four people this week. Set yourself a reminder. You're like, oh yeah, that's what I need to do now. Set reminders to stop, to remember, and thank God for what he has done. For trying to grow and being faithful and keeping commitments. Enter items in your calendar. Then consult it when someone asks you about doing something else. That's the thing we run into occasionally, right? It's like, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's like, we're already doing a thing. It's like, but I uh, kind of forgot about that. It, it felt so important in the moment. Right? Like, well, the commitment we already made is also important. Now, many of these things, like setting reminders on your phone and keeping a calendar, don't sound especially spiritual, but they help us put in place Things that help us remember to be who, by God's grace, we want to be. To remember the Lord's faithfulness. I'm going to say, do you want to forget the Lord's faithfulness? Like, no. I want to remember it. Okay. How do you remember it through the week? What are the things you do? What are the rhythms you have? And that doesn't have to be guided by a phone. But how do we make decisions before our week starts about how we're going to follow through on wanting to remember God and his faithfulness to us. What decisions will we make before the week starts about how we will remember to keep the commitments that we have made? Ultimately, we grow in faithfulness to God as we consistently remember his faithfulness to us. So by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, we want to be faithful to the Lord, his word, and other people. But we're not always, right? As Frank Reich would tell us, we're not. He's not. So what do we do then? What do we do when faithfulness falters? What do we do when we're not the faithful person that we intended to be? Well, we kind of go back to step one and we remember that God is faithful, <laughs> And we can count on him and he keeps his promises and he has promises that he will never cast out anyone who comes to him through Christ. We remember his promises. We remember his faithfulness. And then we remember that now because we are in him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about when other people fail us? Because that happens too, right? Even when we're, okay, I, I was actually faithful in that situation, but they were not. And not just out in the world, but even in the church, they weren't faithful, and I was, and now what do we do? Remember that you failed too, 
right? So I heard someone say recently, we've all been in that mercy line. And so one of the ways that we demonstrate faithfulness in that moment when someone else has not been as faithful as we thought they should is that we are quick to forgive, like God has forgiven us. So we can count on God. And as much as it's up to us, people should be able to count on us. We do that by holding on to him in faith and relying on his strength to live out that faith with other people. We hold on to him and we realize that all along he has been holding on to us. And his are the hands that are strong enough that anyone who's held by him will never be let go. That's his faithful promise to you and to me. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you work, that you save, that you keep your promises. Would you help us? Would you help us to grow in faithfulness to you, to others? And would you help us by your grace to faithfully walk in your character, your will, your way? And when we stumble and fall again, would we run back to you? Because we can count on you to forgive us. We know what we're going to get when we come to you. We thank you. Would you help us to count on you now and forever? In Jesus' name, amen.